Hey, this is John Stamos, and you're listening to Good Vibrations, a Beach Boy podcast with David Beard. Sponsored by Endless Summer Quarterly. Here we go. What? Let me do my Let's favorite do song. When do you stick? My favorite stick. Let's do. Don't take that couch though. Okay, I'm gonna do a Janadine number now. Cowtown. Cowtown. I come from West LA, babe. West LA, down where everybody skateboards, <laughs> and surfers are at the most minimum. Uh, ex- a bunch of them. Woody's Nary Drive, right down the street. Everybody says, hey. There goes a surfer, sur- swisher, surfer. Okay. Yes, go ahead. It's awful nice to have you at our party, awful but nice, we don't want you. Awful nice of you to ask me, since I live here. Hey, come on. Rockin' and reeling, Bob Ram. Bob Ram. Bob Ram. Bob Ram. Bob To a dance, looking for a man. Saw Bobberan, so I thought I'd take a chance. Bobberan, Bobberan, You got me rocking and a rolling, rocking and a reeling. Bobberan, 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 You got me rocking and a rolling, rocking and a reeling, bobber and papa, papa. Don't make it bleed. Let me reconstruct this beat here. Shut up. Hey, that is great sounding. What do you think we're playing for? Go ahead. Take my. Double with me. Sounds groovy. Let's try it again. How's it going? Wait a minute. Wait a second. That's what Betty Lou tried. Peggy Sue. No, Betty Lou tried Peggy Sue. Tried Mary Lou. Tried Mary Lou, but I knew they wouldn't do it. Bob Ram, Bob Ram, Bob Bob Ram. Oh, party. Who cares, man? What's who? Say something. That's on tape, baby. Okay. Oh. I mean, you're not on stage, right? No, he's doing great with me. Oh, I sound better with... Okay, I'll do it. Bob, Bob. Come on. Oh, I'm going. I'll do a little part of it. Hey, what is that? Bob, what is it on the verses? Hey, wait a second. You can talk with us, but you can't sing with us. Oh. You can't sing with us? I can talk with you. Don't tell. I'll tell. It's probably worth the controversy. Yeah. We have a 
Hey, right, we, got, we have we got on this number. Look, we're gonna have I a secret singer. Everybody, write in and no, say who's the secret hey, singer. Nobody start the song. We had enough chatter to build up to it. Start it again. Let's make a real cooker now. Real cooker. I want that bass to really sound hip. What? What? What's the note? You don't know how to sing. Black sheep. Have you any wool? Oh, that was beautiful. ba 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 Mike Love. Now that that is from the Beach Boys Party Uncovered and Unplugged two disc set that was released in 2015. So that's not that's very similar to what you if you have the Beach Boys Party album released in 65, if you have that on CD or LP, then you have what pretty much sounds like that. 
But if you have the LP and you ever listen to the very end of the Beach Boys' original party album, at the very, very end, as it's trailing off after the song's over, you hear Carl Wilson say, Thanks, Dean. And that's because Dean Torrance infamously appeared on the Beach Boys' Barbaran single. Now, the interesting thing about the Beach Boys' party album and Jan and Dean's Filet of Soul album, both albums have something in common, other than Dean. And that is, both albums had some stuff done to them in post-production. With the Beach Boys' party album, Brian... Wilson took the recordings they'd done in the studio, including what we just listened to, edited them down to, you know, his favorite selections, more or less, and then put some post-production. He kind of got together with some family and friends and added some extra people and ashtrays and whatnot. And so you then had, then he released that party album. Very little post-production, but still the idea being, the concept being, putting some extra stuff in the studio, taking your live recording, then going back into the studio and putting some stuff on top. And that's where I started today with Dean, asking him, because he had been at the Barbaran session, if the result of the party album with the extra stuff in the studio had an influence on what Jan and Dean did with Filet of Soul. And here's what Dean had to say. Actually, it had started, I think, very innocently. Um, there was somebody that either sneezed in the audience or coughed. I think Jan refers to it by saying, do you need an analgesic or something like that? Okay. You remember that line? Yeah, absolutely. Well, he, he was reacting to somebody coughing or sneezing. And, of course, then in the studio, we heard his reaction to it, but we couldn't hear, you know, the sneeze or the cough. Mm-hmm. That was our first moment where we went, let's, let's go into the, into the sound effects library, see if we can find a cough. Because for him to be reacting to something like that, and then you don't hear the cough ahead of it, doesn't quite make it as funny. Yeah. So off, off, off to the library we went, and of course, knowing us, once you started grabbing stuff, you said, thought, oh yeah, you know, maybe we do something else. I think there was one other thing, or, or the, the car screeching and, you know, Dead Man's Curve, of course, we needed that. Um, so we said, oh, yeah, you know, Dead Man's Curve is going to be on there, so let's grab, you know, this tire screeching. And then that led to, well, grab that one, too, over there. I don't even know what's on that one. Grab that one. Well, let's just take a whole handful of them. So it did start with one specific idea, and it just got out of hand, <laughs> as usual. And we did it, the more we enjoyed it and cracked ourselves up. So it, it, it just it got out of hand is all. Mm-hmm. And what inspired the, the skits, the, the two, and now back to our show, and the, uh, the boys down at the plant? Where did where did the inspiration? I mean, other than just being, you were obviously goofing around, but was any of that scripted, or you just push record and went with it? And I don't know if there, we had something specifically in mind, 
I don't know how we arrived at those kind of soliloquies almost, or whatever they would be called. Because he had no intention of doing something like that originally. Mm-hmm. But you can hear some some ice cube going into some... We must have been drinking. Thank you. Uh-huh. Oh, well, now we'll continue on with our show. Of course, we continue on with it. What can we do? We can't stop. And, uh, or else we won't get any money. Of course, money is the most important thing. Uh, and uh, we'd like to do another, uh, another song for you. Uh, we got a... Uh, uh, we don't know anymore, but I'd like to do another for you and uh, earn our keep, uh, earn our keep, uh, and uh, earn our keep, uh, and uh, earn our keep, uh, and earn our keep, uh, uh, and so if you just all just bear with us, uh, we like to say uh, that uh, uh, th- this has been a fun thing to bring to you. I hope that you haven't been too bored with it. Uh, we haven't been bored with it. We dig it. We dig ourselves. We love our music. Our music's great. We know it's great, don't we? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. 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 Oh, yeah. Sure we do. Uh-huh. Oh, oh yeah. Ooh, we all like your music. Oh. Another thing that I, I find interesting, because you, you know that I also I discovered that you were the designer through my, my Steve Martin album collection way back in the day. I didn't realize you were the... That's how I found out you were the same guy. And it's similar to me that you guys, prior to Steve Martin, because what I liked about Steve when I was a young kid was that he always kind of made himself the butt of the joke. And he never targeted people. He targeted himself. And you guys do that. And, I mean, not not just in the live show where you say things like, hey, you call my mother a pigeon. and But you also do that in the... Uh, the boys down at the plant part where you're, you know, we dig our stuff. We think we're great. The whole thing. I mean, it's, it's a very, uh, it's very kind of Steve Martin. You came before Steve, but I mean, it's very Steve Martin-esque. I mean, it's, it's very, I mean, how would you describe that? What comes across as very purposeful skewering of lampooning of yourself. Our music was just kind of a hobby. 
And when I got off of that show and Lou was waiting for me, and he really read me the riot act, he said, don't you ever tell people this is a hobby, you know. They're serious about, you know, about the industry and all that. So Lou didn't even exactly understand our point of reference. And, you know, early on we kind of listened to him, and then slowly we started going our own direction. And I think it was Lou that kept, you know, he made us buy it. He took us downtown L.A. to some haberdashery and... You know, he picked out our clothes, our first set of, of rock and roll clothes with all the matching stuff and the suits. And he wore suits and her wore suits. I don't know, we went along with it, kind of, because we appreciated Lou and, and for the most part really liked his, his overview of, of stuff. But slowly we we were starting to kind of push back on the clothes thing. I remember he saying we were experimenting with not wearing, you know, the suits and, and stuff. And, and he would always get on us for that when we'd show up. And so this one time he said some gig we were going to, and he was meeting us there, and he said, um, you know, make sure... I really want you in suits for this. I said, okay. Of course, Jan shows up at my house um, to pick me up to, to go to the gig, and he's not wearing a suit. And I'm going, well, you know, Lou said we should be wearing suits. And he said, eh, uh, I, I like what we're, we've been wearing lately. I said, yeah, me too, because it was kind of my idea. You know, I, I, I was always uncomfortable in the suit. So we said, but, you know, he's going to be really angry. So we went, and this was when I was still living at home with my parents. We went in my parents' closet and went, <laughs> went through my dad's suits. My dad was 6'1". So we were about the same size, and my dad was not heavy um, at all, so his stuff kind of fit us, except, you know, it was 1950s suits, baggy, and really kind of, kind of weird looking. So we got the biggest kick out of putting on, on my dad's suits, and he put on one, and I put on one, and got in a Stingray or Corvette, headed out to the gig, pulled up, Lewis waiting for us, we got out of the car. <laughs> he just about, he just about died. God, it was funny. <laughs> he didn't know what to think. It was kind of like the, uh, the people at Liberty Records so we, <laughs> we uh, previewed Play uh, a Soul, you know, it's like, are you kidding? And now we come now to the, the Beatle portion of our show, in which oh, sorry, the Beatles part of our show. Oh boy, you need an analgesic. The Beatles part of our show. Where... 
Well, we do a lot of Beatles. Then we do them. Then after that, then we finish it up with a lot of Beatles. Songs. And then, if that doesn't work, if that leave. doesn't work, we split. <laughs> then we and do then, the cockroaches songs. And then along came Jones. <laughs> this part of the show is where we sort of relax a little bit. Everybody, just sort of lay back in your chair. We want to do this song again because last show they pressed erase instead of record. <laughs> and, uh, Which is actually better on some of our stuff. Yes. <laughs> you know, there's that moment of truth where, where you start doing what you, what you feel instinctively that you want to do. And Lou's instincts were, you know, to not make fun of the business, of course. But somehow we made it work, and he, I, I don't know if he totally appreciated it. Someday I'll, I'll ask him. But he got on board. Either he got on board just because he you know, couldn't do anything about it, or he finally did start to understand it. Okay. I, t I sent Lou something about, about Filet of Soul, and, and then an email, and then I said something about, you know, we're going to be really big again. And you know, tour and, and have hits on the charts and all of that. So, you you want to be our manager? Was the question. I sent it off to him. About ten minutes later, I get an email back saying, "No." It's interesting, you know, I, 
you know, you guys went from doing a live album to folk and roll to pop symphony to Batman and then Filet of Soul, which is a, you know, each album kind of has its own thing about it, but it's interesting to go from a Filet of, you know, folk and roll to a Filet of Soul or in, or a Janadine Me Batman. What do you remember about conversations or general thought process with Jan about, you know, folk and roll being the type of material it was, which was not just a folk album, but kind of more serious. And, and, and some of the songs were just kind of over the top. But I wasn't listening to any of that. I couldn't tell you that. I don't think I right, but, listened to that song once. So, but you and Jan, but at some point, you know, Jan gets his pop symphony album out of the way, his little pet project. Then he does these songs. How did you get him back on track to be to go this humor direction? Um, I, I was trying to get him to understand. I mean, even as back far as as you really know how to hurt a guy. And then, you know, I, from still to this day, I see people that quote that Dean really hated the song. And that, I, you know, I try and keep explaining to these folks, and I, I don't know, they just don't listen. So I didn't mind the song. I didn't mind most of the songs on folk and roll. I liked them. You know, I was a fan of, of the birds, and I love the 12-string. I went out and bought the 12-string because of the birds. But that didn't mean we needed to be singing those songs. That was always my point. And it took me pretty many conversations with Jan to get him to understand. I I didn't know what to call it, but later I found out that it's called branding. I didn't understand, and I didn't know the word. And it was, I, I was finding it hard in the beginning to articulate myself. And then finally, when I started explaining it better, to, and then he realized I wasn't putting down his, his songs for musicianship or shitty songs or anything. I was only saying Janadine shouldn't be doing these kinds of songs. And if, if Jan, you want to have a solo career and be doing these kinds of songs, that's fine with me. I'll sing on them. But they shouldn't have the Janadine title on them. That, uh, that, that's not our branding. So I think he started to kind of understand that. And, and by him kind of fishing around, I mean, I already knew it, but he kind of had to do it for himself. It's kind of like a teenager. Um... And folk and roll wasn't that big of a of a project, and it didn't really, you know, I don't think it sold uh, particularly well. So he kind of understood why, and then I'd critique it afterwards and re-explain it all again. These are good songs. Um, we did want to do something for Lou because he published, you know, Eva Destruction and some of those things. Bill Sloan was writing those songs, so. You know, part of the idea was a good one because of Phil, and we so we had a writer that could be writing um, you know, originals. 
like folk music, but so what? It still didn't fit the Janadine brand. So I think once he got that out of the way, and he realized that it didn't translate into a, really a successful record, and then um, then doing pop symphony, I, that was great. I I totally agreed with that one. Um, but you know, it was a whole different direction. Of course, I knew the record company would never understand it, and they didn't. Uh, so it wasn't Jan's fault. And then it was just okay. Get back to back to the humor and back to stuff that, uh, that we're you know better suited to be doing. Mm-hmm. So it was a process. I would have rather not have been experimenting, you know, out 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 in front of everybody. But I guess you got to do it sometimes. But you have too many too many failures all of a sudden you know, you're, you're in that category so I didn't ever want to be in that category you, you mentioned uh, that you liked Pop Symphony and that's, that's an album that really doesn't get discussed very often it's a unique album for what it is and certainly because the pictures on the back of the album sleeve have you sitting there with Jan while he's conducting when you think back to that album what, what, what did you find appealing about it? What did you like that Jan had done? Oh, I just, you know, I liked, uh, I, I liked, uh, I, I was, uh, I always enjoyed arrangement uh, stuff. Um, I didn't, I was an overproduction guy. I liked lots of production. It wasn't worth doing if you were one guitar, and, and that's why I, I never really, never really got into surf instrumentals. They were just too basic. For, for my taste, anyway. So I was fascinated with all the instrumentation, all that instrumentation, taking, you know, doing different different little melodies, and I, I really liked it. I mean, I, I played, I played uh, clarinet in an orchestra, junior orchestra in, in junior high school, I think it was. But, you know, I did appreciate instruments doing counter melodies and things to other instruments. I, I, I appreciate that. I, I like that. And um, then to do rock and roll tunes, I thought was, was absolutely brilliant.
Hi, this is Mike Love of the Beach Boys, and you're listening to Good Vibrations, a Beach Boys podcast. What, it, 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 what we're talking about, Jan's arrangement and production, how did that find its way into an album like Filet of Soul? Or did it? Um, man. It's some of the arrangements and George Tipton who helped help Jan do do um, the Pop Symphony record uh, did do some of the horn parts and you know in Pop in, in I, th- I think in um, Filet of Soul I thought I heard a chime in something it must have been in uh, Norwegian Wood I think maybe and then I, I remembered, and I don't think that we gave the guy credit. There was a guy named Emil Richards, off the top of my head, that was a percussionist. So of course he had Hal on drums, but that's drums. We, I, I, I almost, I really thought I remembered Emil, you know, playing some, some really neat kind of percussion stuff on stage including chimes and I thought there were some chimes uh, in uh, Norwegian Wood that I kind of thought I heard but anyway so a lot of that arrangement stuff found its way into even though it was a live show we could experiment with horn parts and and then some other instrumentation that was in juxtaposition with the horn parts and um, it, it was that, that to me made it a little bit more special than just having a backup band just playing what was written in front of them. When people listen to Filet of Soul, it's going to almost go unnoticed. You I mean you, there is, of course, an introduction of everybody the horn section, the brass section, and everybody on stage. But there's just so much stuff that goes on in Filet of Soul. Even though everybody's introduced, you really don't have an opportunity to appreciate uh, how good they. I mean, there are moments that are musical, but for the most part, it's it's a lot more than that. And and it's interesting that Jan and Dean had, I think, literally you could say the best backing musicians on stage at that time in the business. Yeah, I, I'm wondering where. Um where uh, Glenn Campbell was because Glenn should have been there but mo- most of those guys right about that time were working on their own solo careers including Leon Russell who would have would have should have been there too as well um, yeah man we had we had the best of the best um, and, and I know we would show up at shows from time to time with all those studio guys and they'd, they'd walk in and you know the, the guys with all the guitars and the Marshall amplifiers would kind of look at the these dudes coming in in their black suits and they're going shit who the fuck are those guys well, they soon found out who the fuck those guys were mm-hmm. and they could take their Marshall amplifiers and stick them up their ass because they didn't even come close to being as Now we like to do hang on Sloopy. <laughs> 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 
For you in the, in the, I don't know if the right word is le- the fancy word is lexicon, I guess. But in terms of those original studio albums, those original albums that you did with Jan prior to the accident, where does Filet of Soul for you? Where is, you know, where is that? Is that at the top? And it, where where does it sit for you? And why? One, it's one of my favorites in as much as what I get out of it, which I thoroughly enjoy hearing the banter between Jan and myself. Now, as you know, there have been a few folks that has almost still continued to believe that Jan and Dean didn't get along. If you want to hear, I mean, all you got to do is listen to that, and you know that's not even a possibility. These guys are obviously getting along, obviously like each other's company, and and really are enjoying what they're doing, period. So from that standpoint, 
um, that's that's what I get the most out of it is just remember doing that remember sitting there with those turntables just dropping that needle on on those records and just cracking each other up and um, it takes me right right back to that now in terms of uh, a conceptual album full of music you know it's not in that category at all um, it's really more of a comedy album than it is a music album I don't really very much consider it a music album because then it doesn't have all of my other favorite stuff is stacking vocal parts and doing all that you know I miss all, all that but I know it's a it's a live recording and you can't be doing that if you're going to be doing that you may as well do a studio record so musically it wasn't as much fun because of the lack of doing all the four part harmonies and all that stuff but that's something in that I and personally enjoy you know it's right up there probably probably number one mm-hmm. but musically you know I, I loved Drag City Drag City is still one of my all time favorite uh, Janadine LPs um, for the for the for the unaware or the uninitiated who will be listening to Filet of Soul for the first time <laughs> I can't imagine but for the first time ever and they're Janet Dean fans and they don't know what this is. Or 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 for the you know, just for the faint of heart out there. Or and and or maybe new people who'll be introduced to this album. Describe it. Uh I can't. <laughs> Look at the YouTube little trailer that they did. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna turn it on right now. There is a quote. I think it's one of the first people that did um, did a little quote comment I guess they call it comments yeah it's a girl and it's a girl on top of it all Paulina Angel this sums it up for me I don't know what the fuck I've just heard but I think I love it I read that. That is, it's kind of right on the money, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I, I would hope that 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 that's a, that would be almost anybody listening to it is. Please don't expect. I mean, all all through the liner notes, I call it lame, lame music. But that's not important. That's not the irrelevant. The, the relevant to it is this. And so, to use your quote. The whole kind of um, anti-established overtones and the, the humor and the humor between two guys that even after seven or eight years of recording together still still enjoyed the process and enjoyed each other's company. So the fact that Paulina isn't exactly what the fuck she heard, but it made her smile even in her little picture she's got a little smirk and that smirk tells me all I need to know too as well that's that's what I'm hoping Mm -hmm. 
what I'm hoping is people enjoy hearing it once or twice and absolutely love making somebody else listen to it. <laughs> yeah, that'll be the uh, that's going to be the telltale uh, sign right there. It is one that it, this is not pet sounds where you're going to listen to it for 50 years. And, you know, enjoy hearing some of those songs 10 or 15 or 20 times a year. I don't think this is one of those recordings. But to have it in your collection and to be able to pull it out and, and share it with somebody is is probably the direction this thing's going in. I don't know. But Paulina had it right. Thank you, Dean. <laughs> now, it, oh, you needed some help? Come on, here we go. Oh, watch it. Uh, now, would you like to continue on? <laughs> okay, with Michelle by Dean Torrance.
Paul von Mertens. You're listening to Good Vibrations, a Beach Boys podcast with David Beard. Thanks for tuning in to episode 17 today and my conversation with Dean Torrance about Jan and Dean's Filet of Soul album, finally seeing its full release. And I just want to outline something. We didn't really get to go into it in our conversation, so I just want to explain something. If you're a longtime Jan and Dean collector and you're not sure what this is, and it may be because you own the 1966 original Filet of Soul LP released by Liberty Records, and that certainly would be a bit confusing, so I'll explain. In 1966, Liberty Records released um, Filet of Soul, and if you look at the front jacket, it says a live one up in the top right corner. And if you look at the back, there's some hand-drawn art where it says Ha, 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 chew. All drawn by Dean. That's Dean's hand drawing. And the liner notes were handwritten by Dean. And what had happened was Jan and Dean approved the jacket. They approved the front cover. They approved the back cover. And Dean put his personal art on it and his own liner notes. So they planned that jacket with their vision of Filet of Soul, which is released today on CD. Now, so that album jacket cover and the back were intended for what's finally being released. So what you have, if you own the original Jan and Dean Filet of Soul album from 1966, if you have that vinyl, then what you actually have is a Frankenstein version that Liberty Records took liberties with and took their made uh, studio selections and uh, some live selections from these shows without any of the Jan and Dean humor and sound effects on top and kind of just took it all apart and put it out the way they wanted because Jan had his near-fatal car accident and Liberty Records was capitalizing on the publicity generated by Jan's accident. So that's what the 1966 Liberty Records version of Filet of Soul uh, represents. So now, finally, I guess you could get the new CD and shove it in that LP jacket, and then there you would go. You know, there you go. But uh, it's not the case. And um, if you if you do own the Jan and Dean anthology album from '71, and you listen to side four, then you do know a truncated version of Jan and Dean's vision of what Filet of Soul should have been is on side four of the anthology album. But here it is, finally, in its entirety. Uh, with the two soliloquies slash skits and all all included for the first time ever on Omnivore Recordings, and it's available now on CD online. You can just about go anywhere, but uh, it's always easy for me to go to Amazon.com, and I actually ordered four. So we started the show today with Beach Boys Party Sessions, the Barbarian Sessions, which Dean participated on, and. And this one is from 2015, and you really got to go out and get it. It's it's if you're a Beach Boy fan or Jan and Dean fan, it's just one of those neat, great moments in history, and it's so great. Not just the the Dean sessions with these guys, but the entire two CD set. Just listening to the uh, Brian Wilson, Mike Love, Carl Wilson, Dennis Wilson, Al Jardine, and Bruce Johnston work together in the studio, and kind of just work off one another. And what great musicians they really, really were at that point, and that's the fall of 65. So it's really a great two-disc experience. Um, I can't recommend it enough, and I can't recommend the Filet of Soul redo enough. So it's called the Rejected Master Recordings, and if you if you buy it, on the front it comes with a label, and this is what it says. It kind of sums it up. Jan and Dean's original version of Filet of Soul, as nature intended. So there you go. <laughs> I hope you pick it up. It's it's unique. It's unusual. Uh, it's a combination, if you will, of Monty Python, Fire Sign Theater, and Mothers of Invention with Jan and Dean 
all kind of rolled into one. That's what Filet of Soul is. Be sure and pick up the brand new edition of Endless Summer Quarterly in the meantime. It has a full interview with Dean about Filet of Soul and uh, quotes and comments from Brian Wilson and Mike Love about the Laden Hawaii album that was never released where the group had traveled to Honolulu, Hawaii to record two shows uh, that would be called Laden Hawaii and then the album they decided to shift gears in the fall of 67 and ditch the Laden Hawaii album concept and they went on to release Wild Honey in December of 67 and that's covered by Peter Ream in the brand new fall 2017 edition of Endless Summer Quarterly. We also have a new article from historian Ian Rustin about the Beach Boys touring unit in 1967. New interview with Dean, as I mentioned. New comments from Brian and Mike about that period of 67. And new interviews with Carney and Wendy Wilson on the 20th anniversary of their Wilson's album from 1997 that they did with their father. And Brian guest stars on a number of tracks, uh, most notably Monday Without You and Everything I Need, the song that Brian co-wrote with Pet Sounds lyricist Tony Asher. Both of those, Everything I Need made its debut on the Wilson's album in 1997. It's hard to find. It's actually out of print, which is really hard to believe. But the Wilsons album is far and away Carney and Wendy's Pet Sounds. And I'll have special uh, podcast of with them, both Carney and Wendy, talking about the album coming very soon. In the meantime, have a great, great Labor Day weekend. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>